0: The Spiel is sponsored by TimeWellSpent.org, who would like to remind you that any time spent playing games is time well spent.
1: From their padded cell in Indianapolis, Indiana, this is The Spiel, Episode
0: 38, Valhalla or Bust.
1: so hi there and welcome to the spiel my name is Stephen Conway and I'm David Coulson. well Dave I think we've uh we should have our Viking horns on and our uh our giant I feel like I should have like a beaver Exactly. <laughs> right, this is all
0: Viking <laughs> around my the neck
1: all Vikings all the time baby <laughs> I thought it was about about darn time we've done uh Pirates, we've kind of covered them, not necessarily in great detail. We need to do
0: a pirate episode, too. But it just seems like all of a sudden Vikings is the new pirates. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden there's this plethora of Viking stuff, so hell, let's jump on board and go for it. Yep. (laughs) So
1: we've got, uh, let's see, uh, Vikings, literally. Literally, exactly. (laughs) And Fire and Axe in the list. And then I've got a special... truckloads goober that's viking related as well we got a little
0: viking action in the uh back shelf spotlight too so that's right (laughs) pretty darn cool coming at you from all angles with (laughs) battle axes ready to chop some heads
1: (laughs) (laughs) so i think we should just jump right in and get going excellent game news and notes
0: Okay, welcome to News and Notes, everybody. Everybody knows that Essen is coming upon us here in the next handful of weeks, probably about five, six weeks. There are so many games announced that are going to be debuted there that it's just almost mind-boggling. So I thought it'd be fun to talk about some, but how to narrow them down. So I thought it'd be fun to pick some where the game just jumps out at you, and you know that you have to buy it, even though you know absolutely nothing about it. (laughs) And so I picked three games like that. So this maybe is like a peek into my sick brain. <laughs> the, the impulse buyer's <laughs> exactly. Right, uh, Essen, is that what you're saying? This, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. So this is going to be kind of like a one, two, three punch. So we'll start off with um, Amethyst. And it's published by Eustarian Rio Grande Games, designed by, and here's the name, I hope I'm not going to mess up, Cyril Damaged. Is as close as I can come. It's two to four players, 12 and up. The goal of this game is to build the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. That is just ultra cool right there. (laughs) The other thing is, once again, they're using camels as resources. I mean, how can you not like that? That's just so cool. What I really like about this, other than I just think the name of the game is really neat, is the fact that it's from Yastari. So far, everything that they've done has been a solid game. And most of them have been beyond solid. Yeah. So without even looking, I see a new game coming out by Astari. I'm buying it. Has sort of an established track record. Exactly. Builds a lot of credit. Right. In the bank, oh, Dave. <laughs> Bingo. So that's number one. I'm getting this one. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> uh, number two is um, Veritas. It's published by Rio Grande Games, designed by Mike Stellinger and James Ernest. Three to six players, ages 12 and up. The theme of this game is the preservation of truth in the Dark Ages. Each of the players actually represents a truth. And you're trying to promote your truth through the Dark Ages by copying books, putting them in monasteries, hoping that those monasteries don't burn down. (laughs) How absolutely insane is that theme? (laughs) I read that, and I'm like, James Ernest, and each player represents a truth. I'm all there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is just That's wacky. so wacky. It seems like... Wacky, but yet serious. I mean, more right, serious. Yeah, yeah exactly. I guess maybe it
1: goes in a little more line with his uh, Gloria Mundi. Right, exactly. <laughs>
0: well, everybody says, you know, themes are... You can't find a unique theme anymore. Everybody's doing the same thing. Then you dig up something like this that just seems mm-hmm. so neat. Kind of thematically kind of has a
1: connection to Gloria Mundi, where you have kind of the, the fall of Rome... And things, and you you have kind of the same idea of things crumbling around. It, I mean, on the it, most abstract, obviously, I no, don't know anything
0: about. It the does game sound specifically it, it sounds but. like the very thing because actually, it's part of the uh, mechanics of the game that the, <clears throat> the, <game> the <throat> monasteries will burn down and actually make it easier for right. you to spread your word around. So, pretty crazy. So that was number two. Number three, real quick, a game called In the Year of the Dragon. Published by Aaliyah and Rio Grande. Designed by Stefan Feld. Two to five players, ages 12 and up. Now, let me just stop you and say that
1: (laughs) the word dragon in the title should be a clue to anybody who knows Dave that that instantly would make
0: him want to buy it, regardless of what else he says. So go right ahead now. And that was at least 50% of why I want it. But the other half is even better. So... In In the Year of the Dragon, each player takes on the role of a Chinese prince in the year 1000. You're trying to attract followers to your palace because lots of bad things are going to happen, and the only way to protect your palace and your provinces are to have the traders, the monks, the warriors, and the craftsmen all hanging out with you. Sounds cool. Not, you know, the theme didn't really do anything for me, but... When I found out that it's going to have a number 12 on the side of it, Uh. now I know I have to have it. Dragon and the number 12. Exactly. That's right, folks. Number 12 in the Aaliyah Big Box series (laughs) in the Year of the Dragon. I don't care if it's about stuffing Twinkies at 2 o'clock in the morning. If it has a 12 on it, I must own it. (laughs) It's sad, but true <laughs> so so there you have it a peek into the sickness that is why i have to buy games and now <laughs> well, at least one reason it may not be the only but right that, exactly. that's certainly one of the myriad
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i've got i've got a piece of interesting news and a piece of really sad news so we'll start with the let's start with the interesting news and then go to the sad news so special thanks to zach toops for bringing this uh news item to our attention the the interesting news is that uh Reiner Knizia is actually moving into the video game design business as well as the board game design business. Excellent. This may be a little bit old news to some of you out there, but I still think there are some people who might not know this. So some of this is a little bit of canned text from a press release that I got. Uh, So it's a company called MERSCOM. Uh, MERSCOM and renowned board game designer Dr. Reiner Knizia announced that MERSCOM will develop and publish multiple Xbox Live arcade Nintendo DS, and PC games based on concepts created by Reiner Knizia. MERSCOM will work with Knizia Games to create interactive games exclusively for the company as well as utilize existing Knizia board games and as yet published board game concepts. They plan to begin releasing these titles in 2008. Now here's a quote from uh, Mr. Knizia himself. He He says quote, I'm delighted about this new cooperation. MERSCOM is the Right, partner in size and spirit, and I'm convinced that this will bring a number of very exciting new games to the computer and video game market. So we were talking just a few episodes ago at the Gen Con about the sort of convergence of right. electronic, the electronic game world and the board game, you know, face-to-face game world. And, well, here's evidence to the to that point here that we've got him making this sort of having a foot in both camps now. and yeah. I think that's a good thing. I mean, I think some people may go, "Oh my gosh, you know, he might make less board games or stuff." But to me, if he's making good games, I don't really mind that the format might be sometimes electronic or sometimes face to face. It's going to encourage and push the electronic games to be more creative. Absolutely, I think, and that's only going to be a good thing because, in my mind, while I I certainly love and, and and certainly entrenched in current you know video game culture too. I think that there's sort of stayed tropes that, you know, there's very sort of boxes that all the video games sort of fit into now that that all the companies are, are kind of afraid to branch out and be a little more creative. And the fact that this company is willing to hire someone who really comes up with, you know, creative and it, it kind of makes sense with him being more mathematically oriented that his style games would would, would translate over well right.
0: to uh, a computer or electronic environment. So Well, I think that's pretty exciting because I mean, who wouldn't want to see what Rainer can come up with on that platform? You know, I mean, obviously he's brilliant and he's very imaginative. The stuff he's going to come up with will have to be just great, you know. Yeah. Not yeah. to mention, you know, some of his older classics possibly being ported over and yeah. being exposed to people who would never have a clue what those were. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. I I look forward to, you know, having the experience like on an Xbox Live or whatever where you could play some of these old board game classics with with friends as well as, you know, the shooters or whatever like that. That you have those alternatives as well as new content that might exactly. take advantage of those electronic elements in a way that a board game might not even so be like able So like in 50
0: so. years, we'll be like, oh, they're making a board game out of that game that Rainer designed <laughs> for the, you know, PlayStation or the Xbox. <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> full circle. <laughs> well, speaking of full circle, we've got, this is this is really a sad piece of news. So the game designer, renowned game designer, Franz Beno Delong, uh, has died after a long uh, a, a battle with cancer. I don't know that it was long or not. It was actually, he was only 50 years old. Wow. And it's just way too young for yeah. for anyone to die let alone to have battled cancer, but um when not designing games, Mr. DeLong worked as a judge in uh Munich, Germany. Uh he was he was a designer with 13 games to his credit. This is the part that y- you'll recognize, I hope some of these names or if not, we're certainly going to encourage you to to check some of these out cuz he's really got a a nice you know, litany of games here. Uh the newest one was is scheduled to come out at Essen this fall is Container, but the other his other entitles include Big City, Dos Rios, Fjords, Goldbrow, Hellas, Kunstmarket, Manila, Nadron, Trans America, Trans Europa, Zaltog, and Zanzibar uh just a really you know, really creative, really interesting lineup of games. I haven't I've played many of them, probably right. at least half of them, and have I really treasure a lot of them that I have and you know, it might be kinda nice to do like a, a Franz Benno Delong night and you know Exa- yeah, he'll be- he'll live on in his games and that's something that, you know, we should all take take great exactly. he should take great pride in his family should because we enjoy his games and thanks I guess he, he preferred to be called Benno. so thanks thanks Benno for adding to the The gaming hobby. I just wanted to mention as well that Tom Vassal did a great interview Uh. with uh, Benno uh, on the Dice Tower and we'll include a link to that uh, from uh, several years ago and uh, we'll include that in our show notes and I would encourage you to check that out if you want to learn a little bit more about Mr. DeLong and just sad news, but you know, the gaming world is, has lost a, uh,
0: an important player. Okay, so I guess we have just a little bit of unfinished business before we move on to the next segment, and that is, of course, Name That Game, which uh, we had quite a few listeners email in with some answers, but surprisingly, not, not a truckload of correct answers. Yeah, this was, I think, a little more difficult than uh, the author of the puzzle might have thought. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. So we'll go ahead and insert the puzzle right now for you to listen to real quick, and then when you're done listening to it, we'll give you the answer. Now, what about this troll? No, listen, gooberhead, not troll. Droll, with a D. Oh, okay. So is this droll
1: big and hairy? Uh, now you're just being difficult. Do you want this clue or not? All right, all right. You don't have to be so cryptic. Here it is. Droll and confused by cold board game designer. Name. <laughs> that. <laughs> game. Game. So special notice, uh, needs to be, and, and applause and attention needs to be paid to Carlos Hernandez, who we spaced, uh, giving credit <laughs> in episode 37. He is actually the author of this evil puzzle. Uh, it's great. We're actually starting to get some, a lot of responses and a lot of listeners sending in a possible name that game puzzles, which is r- really fun. I think um, they're just sending them in because they're tired of our stupid puzzles. <laughs> well, that could, <laughs> could be too, um, but uh, thanks, Carlos, uh, for sending this one in. And uh, he sort of wanted to riff off of uh, one of Mark's puzzles, I think, the uh, cryptic crossword exactly. uh, puzzle. And that's really kind of the, the in for understanding how to, how to go about doing this puzzle. The, the little line about uh, being cryptic was, it was a little hint to how to un- unpack the actual clue. So um, you have droll and confused by Cold Board Game Designer. Now, most of you got tripped up on the Cold Board Game Designer right. and immediately went to Richard Berg <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the Cold Board Game Designer. But what Carlos was look, wanting you to look for was... Friedman Freeze. <laughs> Freeze, Cold Board Game Designer. Pretty cool. <laughs> so that's sort of part one. You had to get that it was Friedman Freeze. Then that makes you should make you look back at the beginning of the
0: puzzle. You want to explain, because you were Mr. Cryptic... So basically he said droll and confused, and confused is the hint to let you know that droll and the word and are – all the letters are mixed up. If you change those around, they actually spell out the name of the game, which is Landlord. <laughs> so the answer is Landlord by Friedman Fries. Pretty neat little puzzle, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah. It was a great one, and and I guess the, the cryptic-style cryptic puzzles kind of follow a very – typical format in terms of the way they're worded. And Uh so if you, if you know that that little secret way of unpacking them, that kind of gives you a clue. Uh, Carlos even goes on to talk about how, I guess they were really popular in great Britain and sort of become more popular over here as well. But uh, thanks for all the guesses. We do have, we did have some winners. It wasn't all failures across the board. (laughs) We did have some people who, who did nail it. So we have, have the dice ready and Dave's ready to roll here and find out who's going to win. Looks like the winner is Greg Williams. Congratulations, Greg. (laughs) He's going to win a copy of On the Underground. Sweet. Courtesy of uh, Time Well Spent. Uh, So thanks to Time Well Spent and congratulations to to Greg for winning Name That Game. Now remember, of course, we've got a new Name That Game puzzle coming up in this uh, episode. Uh, It'll always be forward and and at the end there'll be the little intro music and then the clue that will give you some... uh, Wacky, wild clue <laughs> that will lead you to the name of the game. Send us your uh, guesses at stephen at the dot net or dave at the dot net so the prize. For this week's Name That Game is going to be a copy of Vikings, one of the games that we're actually covering on the list this week. And that prize is uh, courtesy of TimeWellSpent.org, our trusty sponsor in tow here. So that's going to be a great prize. You're going to get to hear all about the game coming up here on the list. And if you're able to solve the puzzle of Name That Game, you're going to be entered into the drawing. And one lucky winner is going to walk away with a copy of Vikings, courtesy of Time Well Spent. The list. Over a decade ago, we took up the challenge of playing every unplayed game in our collection. Each week on The Spiel, we play one or two games off our unplayed list. The list started over 100 and has been as low as 30, but we're at peace with the fact that we'll probably never get to the end. After all, life would be awfully boring without new games to play. Let's see which games get crossed off the list. So, sharpen that battle axe and put on that horned helmet. It's time to get in the longboat and head out to pillage and plunder. <laughs> Excellent. We've got the first game here is Fire and Axe. Uh, 2007 is the publication date for Fire and Axe, but it actually is a remake of a game called Viking Fury, which was put out by the Ragnar brothers. Uh, Steve and Phil Kendall are two thirds of the Ragnar (laughs) brothers. The other one is Gary Dickin. They have a small game company um, in Britain and this was one of their games. Osmo Day Editions has picked it up and fire and Axe is their sort of very prettified version with a few (laughs) little updates to the rules and and modifications Um, plays with three to five players. 90 minute game. It retails for $50, but you can find it online for between 30 and 40 bucks. Um, I'm going to read just a little bit of canned text here just because it sets the tone of the game so well. Fear, fear, the fury of the men of the North. Trade, plunder, and colonize the world of the early Middle Ages. Sail the oceans to the borders of the world. Fight bravely under the banner of the crow, and fearlessly cross the doors of Valhalla. The civilized world will tremble before you, and the priests will chant their more enthusiastic prayers, Lord, protect us from the fury of the men of the north. (laughs) <laughs> oh, so yeah. I think you kind of might get the idea of what <laughs> this game is going to be all about here before we even get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> Lots of good pillaging fun. Excellent. <laughs> so let's go over the components a little bit before we get into the rundown of the game. Um, There's a very nice game board which depicts sort of a a medieval not geographically to our eyes modern map. Everything is very distorted and out of scale so the rivers that lead down into the Mediterranean, it's it's mainly Europe both north, central, and southern Europe and then a bit of the Mediterranean mostly with the seas being the most important part because that's how you're going to get around on the boat. It also depicts different cities, towns, and hamlets. The cities and towns are going to be covered up by little figurines and they require you to raid them before you're going to be able to take them over. The other ones you can trade and settle without having to to raid them (laughs) first. Um, The board's really nice. Uh, just really high-quality art, and, and they did a nice job Yeah, with I think it, it looks gorgeous. Um, 33 rune cards, which are kind of rules breakers that you're going to get throughout the game. 27 saga cards, which kind of give the game a definite end. There's sort of one, two, and three sagas that are going to give you bonus points for doing different things during the game five longboat tiles, which are basically where you're going to put your guys. This represents your fleet of longboats as you're going out. And you're going to load those up with either men or uh trade goods, which gets me right to the, you have 33 goods tokens and, uh, let's see how many, 75 Viking crewmen that you're going to load into your ships. Um, there's a wind dial that's going to be placed on the board over the little compass wind compass to show how many safe travel days you're allowed in the different sea zones. That's the other thing I guess I didn't mention about the map. There's a north, south, east, and west sea that's very easily demarcated with lines showing the different areas of the sea board. There are coins uh, which represent the victory points in the game. Uh, as well as the little figurines I just told you about. There's a large, large city figurines and small city figurines with the extra cool thing being in the bottom of the figurine. There's a a little sort of token that shows you how many points each of those are worth. So it's random. You're going to sort those out and put them on the board in terms of setup. I basically just told you most of the setup, you're going to separate all the piles of things. You're going to put the city, the big cities on the big city markers, the little ones on the little ones. And then you're pretty much ready, ready to go with this game. Um, in this game, one interesting mechanic it shares with uh Jenseits von Theben is that it uses time sort of as the currency of a given turn. You're gonna have seven days to do things. But there are things there are three things that you can do that cost time, and there are three things that you can do that don't cost time. So the things that cost you that are gonna cost you days, and when you get to the end of the seventh day, the next person's gonna go, and that's how the, the game turn is gonna play out, are loading your ship in the wintering box, uh, drawing runes in your home port, or moving around the board. So, um, and the tasks that you can do. So those things cost days. When you get through to those days, you're going to be done with your turn. There are also three things that you can do that don't cost days, that you can intermix. You might do any number of those things and then mix in trading, raiding, and settling the land. So loading, drawing moves, and moving... Trading, raiding, and settling. Those are basically your six things that you're going to do on any given turn. Let's just go through each of those in order here. Loading, there's an area on the map called the wintering box. And it's sort of an abstract concept. It doesn't represent a specific geographical area, but it's sort of all of Viking land. It's where you return to load up your ship with either Viking crewmen to raid or settle or trade goods that you're going to use to get points throughout the game. For each guy... For each trade good that you load onto your ship, it's going to cost you a day. So you have five slots in your ship to start out with. You'll get a few more as the game goes on. It costs you a day. So if you load five guys, it's going to cost you five days. Three and two trade goods still, for each one, it's going to cost you a day. So there's going to be a constant restocking. You're going to go out and do things, come back to the wintering box and reload. It's going to take you time, though, to do that. So that's loading. Drawing runes, very simple. There are three home ports, Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. They don't belong to any one player. You can come out from the wintering box to any one of those spots on the board and then go nuts trying to to do what you're going to do best, which is, is raid and pillage as your Vikings. When you're there, you can... Um, use an action to take a rune card. Um, You can only have three at any one time. These rune cards are really cool. They do all sorts of interesting things to break the rules to either help you or really screw up your opponent (laughs) in some very evil way. The other thing with the rune cards is every one that you play allows you to move, if you remember, the wind token that I mentioned. There's a little compass rose on the board that shows you how many good weather days there are in each of the different sea areas. The little uh, wind token has two zeros, a plus one, and a minus one. Each time that you play a rune card, you can move that. I'll get to why that's important right now. The next thing that you can do is move with your days. For each time you cross from sea zone to sea zone, it's going to cost you a day of movement. Um, the other interesting thing to point out is that going from the sea to the shore also counts as a thing. So you have to factor that into if you're going whether you're gonna trade, raid, or settle, you have to account for having enough movement to get your ship onto wherever whatever port of call you're going to try to, to mess with on your turn. Um it's very well marked out on the board in terms of the regions. The thing about the wind token comes up here. Let's say you're in the North Sea. You're there are only, I think, three good travel days to start out with and the wind row starts out at a zero per, or no, the minus one maybe. I don't remember exactly, but anyway, it starts out with a certain number of good travel days. If you go beyond those good travel days, you can travel as much as you want within that seven day limit. But for each day that you go over that good travel day, you're going to start losing things from your ship. So (laughs) it's your choice, but either the seas are too rough and you got a guy who got knocked over or that big load of furs that you were going to carry over uh, to Paris gets knocked over. Um, there are penalties, in other words. You can move, but the bad weather is going to cost you something to do that, and you have to account for that. And you don't want to get all the way where you need to go and have nothing left. (laughs) (laughs) So, again, you've got loading, drawing runes, and moving. Those are how you're going to spend your days. The last thing that you can always uh, do at any point is return to the wintering box. Uh, You have to do that if you have an empty ship, (laughs) sort of like a a homing pigeon (laughs) returning home. (laughs) Dave certainly had issues
0: with that. I had many, many a ship lose (laughs) all of its crewmen and just have to magically float back to the wintering (laughs) box. So, uh,
1: you have that option, but you have the option. You don't have to wait for your ship to get done. If you decide, oh, I do need to reload, rather than doing that, I'll, I'll end my turn, send my ship back. The only thing you're allowed is if you have one guy, you're allowed to keep him in your ship. The rest of them are going to go away, and you're going to have to reload on on successive turns. Now, the weird thing is that there are several actions that you can take that actually don't. Take days. That's the trading, the rating, and the settling, and that's really the kind of meat of the game. These other things you're going to do, and you're going to keep track of the bookkeeping on the board with a little day track to make sure you don't go over the days. But the the fun of set, <laughs> you know you're setting it all up for these three actions. There's trading is very simple. If you enter a port of call and you have trade goods, you can trade one trade good per city, and it's all that is, that city is ever going to have is that one trade good. You drop it off there, and each city has a number next to it. And you're gonna get that number of gold. The gold in this game is your victory points. So the person with the most gold slash victory points is gonna win the game. If the type of trade that you actually uh good that you actually drop off is the trade good that's in favor at the moment, you're gonna get an extra plus two. That's trading. Pretty straightforward, pretty simple, but just keep in mind there's only one per um city, town, or port of call. Rating. This is Dave's definitely favorite part. And he was the, the king. He won the bloody axe, which is a bonus <laughs> uh, point at the end um, for the person who did the most rating. This is where you're going to try to to raise all those places that have the little figurines to the ground. So you take your guys into port just like you would. You're spending your days to move into there and then one at a time. You can you can do it one at a time. You decide, and you roll a die. It's a six-sided die, and you have to roll. Remember, there's that number printed next to each city or town or hamlet. You have to roll over that number. Not equal to, but over that number. If you do, you've taken the city. You get to take that figurine. You're gonna get points. Remember, on the bottom, there's a number of points, and that's gonna add to your victory total, and you keep that over to the side. Now, of course, if you fail with the first one, you could try with the second or the third, or the fourth, or in Dave's case, all five guys <laughs> to the point where you're you're all the way back home because you've run out of guys and you still haven't taken the town. <laughs> yeah, my Vikings, they love to pill- pillage, but they're not very effective at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, you throw numbers at them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> rather than, you know, skilled warriors, you just overwhelm <laughs> <Exactly>. them. <laughs> so that's raiding. Uh, the last thing is settling. Uh, with settling, you take uh, just like you would before, you're going to take your ship, move it onto the space. Uh, the only difference is you can't settle a place that has not been raided. So in other words, you can trade or raid first, but you can't settle until there's no figurine on there, uh, on the space to settle. Uh, Go no good Viking would want to settle someplace where you haven't killed most of the local <laughs> inhabitants first. Yep. Oh, and I forgot to point out, the advantage to trading first, the, the way the timing works, they sort of encourage you to trade, and then to, and then to come in with your battle axe, and then to go ahead and settle, because <laughs> for each tra- for a trade token in a spot, it lowers the number that you need to roll, either to raid or to settle by one. Right. So it makes it a little bit easier. You, you sweeten the, the pot by giving them a few walrus tusks, and exactly. then you go right. in with your battle axe and chop them. <laughs> so Lastly, the settling, unlike the um, rating where it's one at a time, you have to decide up front. How many guys am I going to risk? You roll all the dice at once. Again, you're trying to get over that number. If you do, then you put one of your guys in that spot. For any guys that are under that number, bonk, they, they're they yeah. lost in the battle, or they died of famine, or you know they got lost at sea, <laughs> well, however, however you want to picture it. I don't think they'd die of famine. I think they would, they'd they die in the battle. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically... That's, that's the main gist of the game. You're going to have seven days to do the loading, the drawing, the runes and the moving. And then once your ship's out there, it's just deciding which place you want to go to either trade, raid or settle. Now the points come into to play with not only the rating and the trading, because we kinda covered those, but the settling. The the board is set up so that there are little areas where that are sort of connected by color. So the little dots that represent the ports are connected by those colors. And there are bonus points that you're gonna get at the end for having more uh more of your guys in an area. So if you have one settler in those groupings of three, you're going to get just the point value on the board. If you have two, it doubles the value. If you have three, it triples the value. And it doesn't have to be all the same, you could have one of each of the different color Vikings that are on the board, right, exactly. and each person's going to get to cash in like that. So there's the encouragement. You might think, Vikings settling? What? <laughs> That's really the incentive and because they did spread out <laughs> uh, quite a bit. Um, just a little bit about the end game and the saga cards, and then I'll turn it over to you. The saga cards kind of move the game forward. They are, give you incentive to go on these quests that make your Viking parties saga worthy. So it might be things like raid these two particular towns or settle this island or uh trade with these four different ports of call. Once you've done that, the person who f- completes the final task on that saga gets to take that saga card. And at the end, each of the saga cards is key to one of those three home ports is going to get 10 points per saga card. That they've completed. So that's a huge bonus. Big time. Um, The other thing about the saga cards are there are three sort of levels. There's a lot of one, uh, phase one, phase two, and phase three. Um, When you get to the end of phase three of the saga cards, the game will last three more turns. And then the game's over. You're going to look at your number of victory points that you've accumulated to this point in terms of your money. And then you're going to award these extra little bonuses at the end, which are based on what I was just saying with the the saga cards and the bloody axe. The bloody axe, yeah. (laughs) Which goes to the person who's rated the most, and they get three points per city figurine or town figurine that they've rated. So that can really sway the, the point value. I thought it was going to be a little more intimidating than it was at first. It really has a simple flow to it. It really harkens back to kind of a, a simpler era of gaming. It might not seem that way from what I've just described, but once you are turn into it, your options are fairly simple, and it comes down to strategy rather than you fighting the rules, which I think is, is really nice. Dave, right. what, what do you think?
0: Well, I think there's a lot of things to really like about this game. Um, I'll point out a couple. Um, first of all is player interaction. At the onset of the game, it looks like there's not going to be any, but there really is. There's a lot of things you can do to affect your opponents, even though it's not just face to face fighting them. There are, you can affect them with a wind rose, make it impossible for them to move around. You can play those rune cards and attack them with sea monsters and all kinds of other crazy things. So there's much more player interaction than, than you thought there was going to be. The second thing is genius that one of your options is that at the end of a turn, you can go back to the wintering box to kind of reset. Because many games that have come before this one have suffered from, they would have made you sail all the way back up to the top and reset. Waste another turn. Half, yeah, half of every other turn would have felt just completely wasted. So this is really great. They gave, give you the option, you know, I'm done down here. Bap, I'm zipping magically all the way back to the winter box, reset for the next turn, and I'm good to go. So there's really no wasted you know, actions and stuff. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I
1: thought, I mean, it's not it's not a light game by any means, but it kind of has a lighter feel than what you would expect. Right. I think that may be the way to put it. And and it plays definitely within that 90-minute time frame. Once, you know, your first game might be two hours, but once you've played it once, you could easily play this in 90 minutes, maybe maybe even an hour once you're kind of familiar with how the, the game exactly. flows. Which, for as much depth, I think, as there is, that's that's a testament to the the game design i think that it has that nice balance of providing strategy without being overly encumbered by rules and still just being go out and beat up on people. There's not right. as much beating up on each other. That's, that's the kind of interesting thing too. You said there is that interaction, but it's all kind of subtle. You're right. messing with the wind. You're messing with the sea monsters. It's not Vikings battling <laughs> each other so much as it, as it is kind of setting the stage for them to fail. Yeah, exactly. If that kind of makes Absolutely. sense. Um, Lastly, the one last thing I was going to cover was just a couple designer notes that I happened to stumble across on the Ragnar Brothers website. Just that kind of – we we talked about theme and how different designers kind of incorporate theme into a game. But this kind of gives you an, into an insight into the things they were thinking about when they designed ah, the game and ways cool. to do that. So, for instance, the centuries of time, because this game is supposed to take place over the whole kind of era of the Vikings, are have still been condensed – in terms of that era, but the voyages of the Vikings were always recorded in terms of days in the sagas. So that's why it's a day meter and not a month or a year reader, yeah. which I think is nice. Yeah. Um, the long ship obviously represents your fleet right. rather than a single ship. Um, the Vikings traded seal skins, furs of different mammals and walrus tusks. So that's where they came, they came up, up with, with the, the different trade, goods. trade goods. Um, uh, the trade goods, uh, uh, simulate the establishment of trading stations, which were often the springboards from which the Vikings <laughs> went on. So they, that's very well reflected in the way the game works. It sort of encourages you to trade first, raid second, settle third, um, just in terms of the... You don't have to do it in that order, but mechanically there's an advantage perhaps right. to doing it in that order. Um, and lastly, the because the Vikings were... Um, distinctly Norwegian, Swedish, or Danish, but the chieftains of the tribes were often mercenaries or freebooters. This is reflected by we're not from a, we're not from Sweden or Norway or Denmark. You can come out of any right, one of exactly. those home ports. I thought that showed that they'd done their homework and they really are paying
0: attention. To that something. was a great way to meld that mechanic with the actual history of. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very cool.
1: And I guess the, I guess second <laughs> that was really the second to last thing. The very last thing is that the Vikings didn't so much fight each other. As go out and fight um, the rest of the world, and so the way they found to do the interaction, instead of it just being clash of the horned helmets, it's beat up on everybody else and try to make every make your your group of other Vikings life a living hell, right, Exactly. Without having to actually go out and battle them, I thought that was really
0: actually reflected. Well yeah, I in love the game. a lot of the rune cards that were, you know, the gods. You know, Odin sees. Yes, he's going to smite you down, you know, and destroy it. It's like what? <laughs>
1: uh. But I had I had a lot of fun with this one. I would look forward to playing playing this one again.
0: What about you? Absolutely. I think this would appeal to a wider audience than I first thought. You know, just because of the style game that it is, you know, it's it does have euro mechanics. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. But it has some roll and feel move to it, you know, of traditionally American-styled games. Yeah. You know, but it's a a really great mix of both, and I think this would appeal to a lot of people.
1: Yeah. It's not not a typical war game. It's not a typical Euro game. It's kind of somewhere on the fence between the two, and and as a result, I think it could appeal to both crowds. Um, So
0: that's the first game off the list. Fire and Axe. What's next? Number two off the list this episode is, yes, you guessed it, another Viking game. In fact, this one is called... Vikings. (laughs) (laughs) It's co-published this year by Hansum Gluck and Rio Grande Games. It was designed by Michael Kiesling. It's for two to four players, ages ten and up. List for thirty-five bucks. You can find it online for between twenty-one and twenty-eight dollars. So in Vikings, each player leads a small group of Vikings in exploration of the islands near their homelands. They hope to settle these islands and then once settled will have to protect them from the approaching ships. Only successful settlements will earn the leaders the fame they so desire. So Vikings plays over the course of six rounds. Each round you'll take turns buying island and ship tiles and wooden Vikings. These are placed strategically into your homeland in front of you, and then at the end of each round, you'll collect gold and or score victory points for the tiles and Vikings that you've played so far. At the end of the game, the player with the most victory points wins. So, pretty cool, great theme, Vikings anytime, good theme. So let's take a quick look at the components, and there's some kind of wacky components um, good wacky. Yeah. <laughs> but let's start out with the 78 Vikings. Now, these are little wooden Vikings that to me look like meeples without arms and with Viking helmets. So <laughs> that's what they look like. I'm whacked out, but. So they come in six different flavors or colors and each color represents a different type of Viking. So you got the fisherman, the goldsmith, the scout, the noble, the warrior, and the boatsman. At the beginning of the game, you collect all these guys up, you heave them into a bag, shake them up, and then I'll tell you what we're going to do with them in a minute. So that takes us to 76 tiles. Now there's two types of tiles. One is the island tile and the other is the ship tile. We'll start with the island tile first. They come in three different types and they're basically um, one showing the left-hand portion of an island, one showing the center section of an island and one showing the right-hand section of of an island. Um, The ships have a couple things that are important. They have a certain color associated with them, which we'll talk about later. And they also have a symbol and a number. The symbol and the number just shows either victory points or gold. And if you have the ship in here, whether you stand to gain or lose that. So you mix all the tiles together, all the ships and all the um, island tiles, and then you put them in stacks of 12, six stacks of 12 onto the board. And we'll talk about the board in just a minute. So also with the game, um, 45 um, gold tokens, three denominations, 1, 5, and 10. There is um, a scoring summary for everybody. Very important, and these scoring summaries are very good, very concise. Yes. They tell you exactly what you need to know. Um, the first of the wacky components, and that is each player starts the game with a player base or a homeland. And imagine an L and then like rotate it 90 degrees counterclockwise so it's kind of like half of a frame and that's your homeland and what it's basically creating is an imaginary grid of columns and rows and this is where you're going to place your tiles and your vikings throughout the course of the game so it actually creates um, six rows the top row is for ships all the other five rows are for the parts of the islands and where the Vikings will eventually go. And we'll talk more about that guy later. So now we get to the game board. The game board is basically where you keep score and where everything is displayed that you're going to be able to purchase and gain throughout the game. So the first thing, remember we divided the tiles into six stacks of 12. Well, there's six bases on the board for these guys. And there's a little graphic on each space that shows you when you're done with these 12 tiles, you're at the end of a round and here's what you do as far as scoring. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The biggest, coolest thing on the board is this circular rotating disc. And I'm just going to call it the cost wheel for lack of a better term, because basically that's exactly what it does. There's 12 spaces on the wheel. The cost wheel of blood. The cost wheel of blood. Exactly. (laughs) But, hey, even the red zero has a red blood <laughs> circle around it. But so on here, there's 12 values um, from zero to 11. And then around the wheel are spaces for 12 tiles and 12 Vikings. Specifically, a tile and a Viking is going to be associated with each cost on the wheel. So Basically, at the beginning of the game, I'm going to kind of skip the details, but you're going to lay the tiles around here such that the um, island tiles end up being the cheapest of the tiles and the ship tiles end up being the most expensive. Then you're going to pull 12 Vikings out of the bag. You're going to organize them by color first, and then you're going to group them around the wheel after you've organized them by color. And then you are ready to go. Sounds like a lot of craziness, but the turns are painfully easy. On your turn, you have to buy one set. Now, a set is described as one tile and one Viking that's associated with one of those costs on the wheel. So on your turn, you must buy one of these sets. There's only a couple rules involved. Um, you can buy any one that you can afford, and at any point in the game, you can give up victory points and a one-to-one ratio ratio for gold. So if you can't quite afford it and you think it's really worth it, you can cough up a few victory points to go ahead and pay for it, which is really cool. The one exception is that the set that is assigned to the zero value cannot be purchased until the Viking, the color of Viking that is there, is the last of that color that's currently around the wheel. Kind of wacky. So if you got lucky and there was only one of that color to begin with,
1: he'd be open in any other circumstance – you exactly. have to buy all the other green ones before that
0: green one is, is open. Exactly. And the cool thing is as soon as you do buy that zero, then the wheel rotates clockwise, assigning a new set to a value of zero. At the same time, obviously devaluating everything else on the wheel. because you're. And so as you buy things, they will get more affordable and more affordable. So it's pretty cool. So once you bought a set, you're good to go. Now you have a tile and a Viking. Now you have to play them in your little home base. We'll start off with the tiles. If you purchase a ship, it's going to go in the top row, and that's just that's where the ships go. And now here's where the color is important. Um, the color of the ship matches one of the rows. Each of the other rows below the ship row is for a specific color or type of Viking. So let's say that I buy a red ship and I put him up there. That red ship is going to challenge the um, column. column below him all the way down to the red row. If I were to buy a blue ship, it's going to challenge all the tiles in the column below it all the way down to the blue row. And by challenge, I mean that if there are Vikings on those tiles, what they were going to give you, whether it be money or victory points or special abilities, you won't get those because they're currently in conflict with that ship. The only way to be able to actually get those is to station, of course, the warrior Viking on a island tile right below the ship. So now all the rest of Vikings underneath there are safe. So that's the ship tile, top row, that's what it does. Um, The other tiles are the island tiles. They have a couple quick rules. They just have to be played orthogonally adjacent to either your homeland or another tile that you've already placed, Um, and that's it. Now you're ready to place the Viking. Now, the Viking has special rules. You can only place it on the tile that you just laid. And you can also only place it in the row for that specific color or type of Viking. So yes, if you want to place a Viking now, you're going to have to put the island tile in the correct row so you can put the Viking on. A lot of times that's not going to be possible, so you'll put the island tile wherever floats your boat, wherever you think is cool. And your little Viking will go um, at the top of your homeland with a little icon of a boatsman. And later on, and we'll talk about this, that boatsman will hopefully be able to ferry the Viking down to some place where he's going to do you some good. So that's basically the turn. Buy a set, play those set into your layout. Turn goes to the next person. They do the same. There's only 12 sets per round. So once all 12 sets have been purchased, then you're ready for a scoring round. Um, there are actually three types of scoring. Um, there's a small scoring, a big scoring and a game end scoring at the end of round one, three and five, you have a small scoring and it's really not a scoring at all. It's more like an income because (laughs) you're going to get three gold for every unchallenged yellow Viking that you have in play. So you just take your money, everybody collects their money, you set up that little cost wheel all over again, and head into round two. At the end of round two, four, and six, you actually have big scorings. The first thing you do in a big scoring, this is where you have a chance to use your boatsman to ferry your um your vikings down to islands that you need to before you score this is a one use only so once you use a boatsman he's going to be removed from the game so you're never going to be able to ferry down all of the vikings that you wanted there's always going to be some leftovers and then you just go through each row one at a time and they score various things whether they give you gold or victory points and once again take into into account those ships if vikings are challenged they're not going to cough up the reward that you're hoping to get um and then at the very end of the game after the round 6 big scoring there's actually game end scoring and this is what you have to plan for the whole game or you're going to be hosed. Yeah. And that it's really cool. The very first thing is the ships. Now, before, if you had a warrior underneath it, they were protecting it, and they were granting you something. But here in the game-end scoring, if it's not protected, not only do you not get that, but you have to pay it. It's a penalty. (laughs) Yeah, you lose the victory points or the gold, which is painful. After that, of course, after you lose your gold, now any gold you have left, five gold pieces is worth one victory point, which is cool. Remember those boatsmen, if you have any unused boatsmen, whoever has the most, ten points. Seven points to the player with the most completed islands. Five points to the player with the longest island because you can make some pretty darn long islands in this game. And then the real kicker. (laughs) At the end of the whole game, you have to be able to feed each and every one of your Vikings. It's simple. For every fisherman that you have that's not challenged by a ship, they can feed five Vikings. So you count all your Vikings and you count your fishermen. If you've got 30 Vikings and only four fishermen, that means you can only feed 20 of them. For every one that you can't feed, you lose a victory point. If for some reason you can feed more than you have, then you're going to gain two victory points for each one of those. And that's the whole the whole game. It plays actually pretty cool. Once you get through the first round, you're going to be like, bam, bam, bam. It's just super easy. One thing I will mention before I turn it over to Steven is that it comes with an option to play the progress version. This adds in special tiles, a few different rules with the boatsman, and an auction to how you place the Vikings around that cost wheel. I would say without a doubt... Even if it's your first game, throw in the special tiles. Those really help make the game. And with these, you're going to have to change the Boatsman rules, but it's really cool. However, I might hold off on the auction till your second game, or at least maybe it'll partway through your first. Play a few rounds, familiarize yourself with how the game goes, and then maybe throw in the auction. Because once you do, it's cool too. So that is basically the game. It's ultra cool. Rules are laid out very well. The reference cards are awesome. The components are Cool. We probably already know what I think about it, so I'll turn it over to Steven. <laughs> I, I enjoyed this a lot. I think in both of these cases
1: I came in thinking they were gonna be a little more not more involved and take longer than they actually did when when we actually played them, just from get, the initial understanding of the rules made them sound a little more intimidating than after right. you played a turn or two and it really was much more accessible than, than you'd think, especially anyone who I think has played Carcassonne because the tiling aspect of um, right. that breaks down in a way that's not at all dissimilar to you, you have to conform to playing it in a certain area and you're just trying to optimize where you put that tile to give you the most points either now or build towards the future, um, which you, you still do in both Carcassonne right. and, and in this game. Uh, but adding the auction element yeah. onto that. I mean, the Carcassonne, uh, to finish that thought up, uh extends all the way to the feeding at the end with the farm scoring. It's <laughs> it, the mechanic is different, but at the end you have that if you didn't think about farms at all, you can get your ass totally kicked by right. somebody who has, you know, been really cagey and smart about where they put their farmers down if you didn't stop them or or account for that you could be hurting at the end of the game. So looping back to the auction mechanic, I really enjoyed the sliding scale of the mechanic and how, um, you, you can kind of see what people might be interested in, but it didn't take but one or two them taking the the tile and the Viking that you wanted or the thing shifting unexpectedly. Or worse yet, you have to take something low, which shifts the value so that everything else suddenly becomes cheaper for everybody else. But you know that's the thing that you need. Right. I love that that balance and that, you know, when do you go after the – the top ones. And I, there was a a rule for how things were arranged around the cost wheel of blood right. that encouraged sort of the the juicier ship things tended to be at the top and be a little more costly. Right. And so you don't necessarily want to take those ships because they cancel out certain ones of your rows, but yet you're at points where... You have to, you either want to or have to take them and just orchestrating that to your advantage or to your opponent's detriment. I thought was the, the thing that was most interesting and most uh, enjoyable. Not that the whole Carcassonne part didn't, but it breaks down into very familiar territory once you get out of the auction. And I think that the combination is not pasted on at all. I mean, it's a very good synthesis of applying that auction style mechanic to a tile laying
0: game and and the result is a a lot of fun I think yeah I love the fact that you know I mean you can see every player's home base and you kind of know what they're setting up and what they really really need to help themselves out and Mm -hmm. what if they don't get they're really going to be hosed and all of a sudden you see the 12 tiles Vikings up for auction and it doesn't take very long to go He really has to have that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely has to have that. And so even though it's really expensive and you may not buy it right now, that's always in the back of your mind as trying to orchestrate that wheel position Mm -hmm. to get it to where you know that you're going to be able to snag it before your opponent. And that's just really cool. Well, in our particular game, especially with the tile, the tile matching thing, you get
1: locked in because you are playing in this kind of limited board that there are only so many island beginnings Middles and ends, and you have to have a beginning before you have a middle or an end, and you can totally go, oh, there's only two beginnings or only one beginning left. If I take that, he's not going to be able to play any more of the, the island
0: tokens out there because he can't build on to anything right. that you might currently yeah, that have. That happened in at least one round where you bought something early on. And when I got the tiles, I just had to throw them away because they wouldn't play into my little home base, and that hurts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can be very cagey about
1: that. I, I like that aspect of it as well. But I would I would definitely recommend it, and it, it was funny that both of these games, I thought, shared that. They seem intimidating maybe turn one because you, the mechanics are not complicated, but there's a flow issue right. that that once you get past that first turn, the game opens up and you're like, oh. That's all there is to this, not not in a bad sense of that's all there is to it. But that's all there is to this. I get it now, and and the the fun comes from the strategy, Absolutely. not from fighting the rules. I guess is what I'm exactly.
0: Yeah, but that's we had two games off the list where the rules were I think very clear and concise. Hallelujah! Very well laid out, which was awesome because we play so many games. It just always bites to have to struggle through rules, you know. So we were able to read these, play them pretty much. Correct the first time, which <laughs> is absolutely amazing. Shocking. <laughs> uh, but I, w- I would recommend both these games. Um, Make a great Viking night. I mean, absolutely. it might be kind of a long night because they're they're
1: both, you know, probably at least 90 minutes probably. You're in for three hours probably for both right. these if you played them
0: both. But I would do it. <laughs> exactly. I'd play these again in a heartbeat. And that gets two more games off of our list. Woo-hoo. What is, I think, our magic number is? seventy eight. So 178. So when these are played off, we'll be at 176. Excellent or horrible, whichever way you're <laughs> hey, it's looking. It's going, at. it's going down, and that's the direction we like it going. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so both of the games that we covered on the list uh, in this episode are available at Time Well Spent, our our fine sponsor here on the Spiel. Um,
0: I think we can get what what are the prices currently? We've got um, you can get Fire and Axe for thirty two forty, which is a great price, and you can get Vikings for twenty two sixty five. So and Actually, um, this week, um, Odin's Ravens, they exactly. actually are carrying that guy, too. That was in the back shelf spotlight, and they got that guy for fourteen seventy-five. So those great prices added into their ongoing shipping deal that they have going right now. Right. You can get some great Viking stuff. <laughs> Remember, through the end of September, uh, if you
1: make orders of over $150, $150 or more, right. it's free shipping to any place in the continental United States, sorry, uh People in Hawaii and Europe and other places, <laughs> but uh, that's that's the sale that they're running. Um, I, it's a really good sale, and, and with these uh, these Viking games, if they sound good to you, that would be a good start on that
0: 150 <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You'd be well on your way towards 150 decided to get all these, and you should get them all because they're really cool. <laughs> now, in addition to this great shipping
1: deal that they're running throughout September, and in fact they may continue on past September, I've had it on good authority that they may extend the shipping deal. Which is really cool. But in addition to that shipping deal, they're starting up this cool sale slash game called the Merchants of Amsterdam sale. Now what does that mean? Well it's going to be a Dutch auction that's sort of inspired by the mechanics that's that are used in uh, games such as Rio Grande's Merchants of Amsterdam. Now here's how you're gonna play. Timo Spent's gonna put one game on sale. On Tuesdays through Fridays at approximately 4 p.m., the price of that game is going to drop 50 cents in price. On Mondays, the price of the game is going to drop a dollar. So now it's a game in terms of how long are you going to wait? You know, How low can you wait for that price to go before you're willing to buy that game? When the current game sells out, uh, then they'll start another one and, and begin the whole process anew. Um, of course, the first game that they're offering up for sale is Merchants of Amsterdam. Gotta start out with the, the game that inspired the name of this little sale here. Um. By the time this podcast comes out, who knows? They, it might already be gone, and we're on to the next game. But I think it's a really innovative way of kind of using a gamerly mechanic to get everyone interested in, and checking in on the price and saying, well, I wonder if I can wait another day before I, I get a good deal on this one. So check out the Merchants of Amsterdam stale, just getting started at timewellspent.org. And remember, supporting our sponsors helps support the spiel, too. So thanks to Time Well Spent. Backshelf Spotlight These games need some love and we're going to give it to them The Backshelf Spotlight shines on those games that may have slipped past your attention Classic games, rare games, obscure games that you may not know about, but you should If you're looking to branch out and try something new, this would be a good
0: place to start Okay, we finally made it to the back shelf spotlight and we have a little unresolved business and that would be to clean up the contest from last episode. If you guys remember, we had a connection, wacky as it may be, between Dungeon Dice and Can't Stop and the obvious things that were obviously the greed-style, push-your-luck-style game. That wasn't it. This connection was kind of a component connection and we kind of gave you a big hint when we (laughs) described one of them. And because of that, we had people that were... Absolutely on the money, on the forums, and the connection was that both games had an octagonal game piece, or a game component. In one, it was the stop sign shape of the board and Can't Stop, and in the other, it was the octagonal shape dice rolling pit in the center of the board. So, that was, I just looked at a couple pictures and went, hey, these are both octagons. How silly is that? And Bunch of people got it right. So here we go. We're going to roll the magic dice, the Viking dice of doom (laughs) Ah. for this episode. (laughs) Cast the runes, brother. (laughs) And the winner is... Simon
1: Wilcock of the United Kingdom. He's also known as Steerpike on the the Spiel forums. Now, we end up having a winner who's not really a winner if Simon holds true to his word. (laughs) Uh So Simon promised, he thought that, uh, he said if the octagon... Uh, connection was actually the right one. And he won the dice that he was going to award them to Jonathan Moody for his <laughs> post on the forum showing how Can't Stop and Dungeon Dice were actually the same game. Yeah, I love if, that. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out on the forums. Uh, he goes to this little logic puzzle of showing how <laughs> how the two games are actually the same game. And it's very, very cleverly written. And if it weren't for our stupid octagon, Jonathan, you would have won it. And it looks like you might have a st- set of Spiel <laughs> Dice coming your way anyway, so Simon's the winner, but the boon might end up going to Jonathan. We'll have to do a little negotiation and see how that <laughs> <laughs> how that all works out. So remember, connection this week between the two games. Uh log on to the forums at thespiel.net and give us your best guess as to what you think the mystery connection is if you're able to to guess What our connection is, uh, you might win a set of spiel dice. If nobody gets our mystery connection, then we'll give it to the most creative uh, guest that is posted on the forum. So without further ado, let's do the back shelf. This week, it's going to be Odin's Ravens, Viking themed, and then the ever so Viking, Mamma
0: Mia. (laughs) Did Vikings eat pizza? <laughs> they should have <laughs> that 's what I think so let 's start off with odin 's Ravens. This was co published in two thousand and two by Cosmos and Rio Grande. It was designed by the very Viking Thorsten Gimler uh. <laughs> it's for two to play uh, for two players, ages ten and up list for twenty three bucks you can find it online for between fourteen and eighteen dollars. Yes, this is one of the dreaded cosmos two player games and it's one of the great ones, too. Um, Odin's Ravens is basically a race game. Each player represents one of Odin's Ravens, and over the course of the game, you find yourself racing the Raven from one end of nine land cards to the other end. Um, in the game, like I said, there's, I think, 40 of these land tiles, but each race only has nine of them face up. The cool thing is each player gets thir- a hand of 33 cards, uh, or a deck of 33 cards, sorry. A hand of 30 car- 33 <laughs> wow. cards would be pretty dang tough. <laughs> Viking-sized hands exactly. to play this game. <laughs> exactly. So um, each player has a deck of 33 cards. Both decks are identical. Um, on your turn, you have three actions, which means you get to play basically three cards out of your hand. Uh, most of the cards are going to be used in um, advancing your Raven on that little racetrack, but some of them you can actually use to place face down in auxiliary stack. This is ultra cool because if you have cards preloaded into this stack, then you gain another up to three actions from this deck. So if you're really cagey about how you place your cards, you can actually get six actions per turn, which is pretty darn cool. Yeah, banking them for later is sometimes your best strategy. But Yeah, a lot of times they just don't play, but you can see, well, they're going to be really useful in about two or three turns, plop. So there's no wasted turns. You're usually not just throwing stuff away, which is really cool. Like we said, it's a race um, to the end of this line of land cards. When one player gets to the end, they get a number of victory points, um equal to the number of spaces that they beat the other player by, so that's pretty cool. It's usually gonna take you to to end a game as the first player to twelve or more points at the end of a race, so usually it's gonna be more than one race involved in a game. I know in some that we just played, it was two, three, four. And even more races per game, Yeah, <laughs> um, especially when you get – when you start to get really good at seeing how everything is, a lot of times you re- you recognize when to cut your losses and just go, okay, let's end this for one point now because if I don't, I'm going to lose five points by letting it go another. Yeah, you don't mind losing if you're only going to give up one point. <laughs> where
1: if you don't do something about it, you might end up losing six or seven. So Right,
0: exactly. Now this, even though it's not super old, only about five years old, Uh we had a chance recently to play this guy, and I would put this easily, if not higher, but in the top ten of the two-player oh, things. Oh, definitely. Made, this plays so elegant and so smooth, so smooth, but the options you have every turn are almost limitless. You know, I mean, there are just so many ways that you can just... Pick away at your opponent and do these crazy things. The one thing I did mention, I guess, is that each deck has these Odin cards in there that do these just whacked out special things, and you know that your opponent's going to have a bunch of them, so they're going to happen all the time. And- yeah, they allow you to rearrange the order of the, yeah. the land
1: tiles and and move your guy back or move your opponent back or flip them because they have the different you know exactly landscapes on each end of the thing, so that you line up yours
0: better than. <laughs> Or screw your opponent. You know well, you can use them either way, <laughs> right? And if, for for no other reason, they come with these really cool little wooden ravens. Oh yeah, yeah. It's very
1: flexible. That's the thing I like about it. Is I mean, initially you might look at it and go, oh, there's nothing I can do. But then when you start thinking creatively about the cards you that you have in your hand, you can really do a lot more. Or planning on your next turn, go well. I can get rid of these, get some new ones, and I bet between the two, I can do exactly. Some really cool and just stuff. just
0: when you do come up to that brick wall of maybe not having something, they throw in the rule of jokers. Uh-huh. Being able to trade two for one and stuff. So it's – you can always do something, which (laughs) is really cool. So that's the first one off the – in the spotlight – Odin's Ravens, <laughs> which has a funky connection to... Mamma Mia! <laughs>
1: again, we have to thank Carlos Hernandez again for kind of bringing this back into our memory, because we right. played this with a bunch of people at uh, Origins mm-hmm. this year. Uh, Mamma Mia uh, was... Uh, 1998 was published. Uwe Rosenberg, who you might know from Bonanza or a, a zillion other <laughs> really good games. Rio Grande and Abacaspila and many other uh, European uh, game publishers as well. A list a The laundry list of publishers have done Mamma Mia, two to five players. That's a 30 minute game. Retails for about $12, but you can find it online for between $7 and $10. Um, in Mamma Mia, each player is given eight different pizza orders to fill. And on his turn, you're going to add ingredient cards, pepperoni, mushroom, pineapple, green pepper, olive, um, and then an optional order card to a, a, a common pile. After the draw pile is exhausted, the common pile is going to be flipped over and the cards are going to be sorted by ingredient until an order comes up. If there are enough ingredient cards to fill that order, then that player is going to score that order. If there aren't enough, um, ingredients, then that player, uh, can either make up the difference when the cards they have left in their hands, or you have to put the order back in your hand and you just don't get to take that one, uh, for score. Um, after three rounds, the player with the most filled orders wins the game. Believe it or not, that's, that's the game. But it's, it, there's more depth to this game. There's, there's definitely, um, an element of having to remember where things are in, in the pile and when, not only when you put things in the pile, but paying attention to right. what everybody else put in that pile. Because you have different, each order, you know, might be four, you know, sausage and, and, and five olive or something like that. Or there's the bombastica, which <laughs> is, I think, 12 of, of uh, 12 or more ingredients. Uh, so there's a different requirement on each of these order cards that you're trying to stack the deck literally in your favor, uh, in order to, to be able to get these orders out of your hand. And that's, what's going to win you the game. Now, the important thing to note also with Mamma Mia, um, is that there's a standalone game or slash expansion called Solomio, which adds new order cards double ingredient cards and it kind of bends the rules a little bit to allow other players to help you fill orders, but you, that you have to share the credit and share the score for doing that. Uh-huh. Um, or you can also wait to play orders as the ingredient pile is resolved in certain cases. So uh-huh. as just a few little rules tweaks, you can actually play solo Mio as a separate game. Um, but remember the game on the back shelf is mama Mia, but just important to note that if you like it, you can actually sort of add to the card stack by doing solo Mio as well. Really light, but but actually has a little more depth to it than you would think from from me just describing, you know, you're just going to be playing ingredient cards and hoping to arrange the deck in a way that, that favors you. I, I, I'm i terrible at this game, I have to oh, say. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I get my butt kicked
0: every time I play it, but I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy playing this in Origins. I think I probably hadn't played it um, since it came out originally. Mm. You know, so getting to sit down and play it was, was pretty fun, even though I remember – <laughs> Not winning. It was a uh, it was a Spiel des Jahres,
1: uh, des Jahres nominee in ninety nine. Okay, um, and uh, uh, several nominees. It won the Deutscher Spielepreis Prize, uh, eighth place in ninety nine. And Games Magazine uh, won Best Memory Game for uh, two thousand. Oh, okay. So cool. uh, you know, it comes comes with a good pedigree. I would encourage you to check out Mamma Mia. Truckloads of Goober. What is Goober, you ask? While sages and scholars may debate its subtle nuances, Dave defines Goober as either a game with a ton of quality components, or a game with really unique components. Now we're not saying that you should always judge a book by its cover, but the stuff, the Goober in a game, can be a factor in having fun. Great Goober can make an otherwise average game excellent. Great Goober can make an already great game sublime. Let's see what the Goobermeisters have for us this week. So in continuing with the viking theme of this episode i have pillage and plunder to offer as a truckloads of goober excellent (laughs) so it was uh came out in 2006 unfortunately an uncredited designer from acorn games small old game company for one to six players uh it's about 20 minutes it retails for about 25 dollars plus shipping so pillage and plunder are two viking brothers roaming the high seas in their long ship draco the dragon ship That's the name of their ship. Um, They're looking for fame and adventure. So Pillage and Plunder is a game of luck and skill. Uh, You're going to take turns loading barrels onto the deck of this wooden longship. But be careful. If the load becomes unbalanced, you're going to dump all your hard-won treasure and uh, lose the game. (laughs) So this is Truckloads of Goober. We're not going to go in. This is a dexterity game, if you haven't already gotten the gist of that. But you have a giant—well, not giant. A nicely-sized, decorated, wooden longship that sort of— you know, has the nice rocky aspect to the Uh long ship and you're going to be taking little, um, hardwood treasure barrels and you're going to be putting them sort of on the deck of the ship sideways and stacking them up. So the round, not not on the end, the cylinder on the round round Uh part. Now you have two Viking helmets, which one is pillage (laughs) and one is plunder. And they're just sort of, you know, con not cones, but sort of, uh, what's that word? Pointy sort Uh of Gothic arch shaped, um, little, uh, uh, guys that you're going to set on there and you're going to kind of build around pillage and plunder, but the, it just looks, it looks great. Uh, the, the, pieces are made to sort of look like they might've been, you know, discovered by or played with by Vikings. Just the, the art on it is very kind of crude um, <laughs> and simple, but very well done in the theme that they're, they're going for. Um, there's also a color coded wood playing die, um, you know, it's it's definitely on the lighter fare of things, but I think this would be a great in-between. You know, you sat down and you played Fire and Axe, you need to stretch and, you know, go clean off your bloody battle <laughs> axe. You could put uh, Pillage and Plunder on the table and uh, do, a, do a round of that before you move on to the Vikings afterwards. That sounds cool. Oh, and one last item of note, Acorn Games, I noticed just from looking at their website, they do a bunch of wooden games and the majority, I'd say 90% of them are all Viking-themed in some way or the other. They have like Mjolnir, which is the name of Thor's Hammer uh, game, and just uh, Boar Hunt, and all sorts of other wow. things. Um, they don't necessarily the goober isn't quite as nice, I don't think, as Pillage and Plunder, but I would encourage you maybe to check out that. We'll obviously include the, the uh, link to Acorn Games in the show notes. Zigame Game Sommelier or Right Game, Right Crowd Like matching the perfect vintage with a delicious meal, The Game Sommelier finds the right game for any crowd, age, experience, or personality. Each week, one of us must pick five games to meet a fiendish challenge. Each week, one of us must earn the right, the honor, to be called The Game Sommelier. So, Dave, your challenge, if you remember, came from listener Tim Medine. Sorry for uh, mispronouncing your name, Tim, the last time, but it's Tim Medine who sent in this challenge. Uh, uh, His challenge was to find five games that can be played in the car with the driver. So this requires no bits be involved. Uh, You know, he typically plays the alphabet game or mind trap or things like that, but he wants good, you know, spiel-worthy alternatives. So what do you got for me?
0: Cool. Well, this was actually fairly easy for me because we have a laundry list of things that we do when we go on trips. So it was easy for me to just pull them from that list. So here we go. I picked um, the five most popular ones. So I noticed that um, Tim said one thing they did do is trivia, but I went ahead and included trivia on my list because we do it maybe a little different than other people think of trivia. So um, we take the cards but we don't take the boards or the pieces or anything. And we basically, on your turn, you pick a category, any category that you want, and you answer the question. If you're right, that category's ticked off. You don't have to answer questions from that category anymore. But whether you're right or wrong, you only get one question. None of, oh, that's right, go again. Oh, that's right, go again. That's right, so one question, and that's it. The fun part is, if you don't get it right, the the other people in turn order can steal it from you so you know if I don't have a question right and Steven's next he can try and steal it if he's wrong somebody else can try and steal it it kind of just makes it go a little smoother well, it keeps everybody involved in the exactly in you're, the process you're always too. In, you're always involved and then we go one step further you can invite everybody that's coming on the trip to br- bring their own box of trivia so you might have the Star Wars geek who's got his trivia the Lord of the Rings guy the um 90s, sports. <laughs> the sports trivia, the Andy Griffith trivia, you name it, whoever, they've got trivia out there for everything and kind of mix all of these together in yeah. this huge mishmash of trivia. The only rule being you can't answer any questions from the trivia that you brought. <laughs> so just kind of goofy twist on on the trivia, but we always have a lot of trivia cards along with us. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I can't do anything but give you a thumbs up on that. That's It's a lot
1: of fun, and, and because you can incorporate so many different trivia-style games into that format.
0: Thumbs up. Cool. Number two... Twenty questions. This thing—I <laughs> knew you were going to put that on there. <laughs> this thing has to be huge. Over the last handful of years, we've seen a resurgence of this game, of this game, specifically because of the little handheld electronic um, twenty questions thing, where it, where you'll think of an item or a person or something, and then the machine will ask you twenty questions and hopefully guess what you're thinking by the end. It's usually right, what seventy percent of the time. A surprising amount. Yeah. yeah, but we found out that much much funner the funnerest thing to do <laughs> the most funniest version <laughs> is just to play 20 questions yourself now this seems kind of antiquated but it really is fun so one person will come up with person place thing object idea and everybody else in the car will kind of put put their heads together to come up with the questions that they think best will lead them to the answer and Uh, We have had a game of 20 questions that was like – we went through a whole state and didn't even know it. (laughs) And
1: and some people were like almost not on speaking terms
0: because they're like (laughs) – I, I just have to know this. And the other person's like, no, I'm not telling you. You have to get it. <laughs> it. It It is absolutely a blast. Try it. It may seem silly and old-fashioned, but you do one game and you'll, you won't you will be able to stop there. It'll be a thing where, okay, the game's really not over until everybody in the car has come up with something to guess.
1: Yep. <laughs> use use fictional characters or oh. things like that. I got them going with Kermit the Frog once. Oh, that Man, was... they could not get that at all it hurt bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's an excellent one and and an old school one that you know probably gets looked over right more often or i would i would suggest doing it the old school way rather than the electronic. there's nothing wrong right. with the electronic one it's it's amusing for a while but trying to crawl in someone else's head is is more fun than just the the cold logic of the
0: machine absolutely cool well number three is think outside the box Now that is a game that if you listen to our Gen Con episode, you heard us do an interview with the people who are, who designed, um, Think Outside the Box. This is something that we don't own. But even though when we did this interview, they kind of pitched it as a educational, um, mind massaging type of thing, the first thing that we thought instantly was Road Trip. Yeah. (laughs) Just because this would be so cool. Each little card is this just incredibly whacked out brain teaser puzzle type of thing. And you could basically play a game with this where somebody reads it out loud and everybody tries to figure it out. And there's a really genius... Um, there's a number of clues. There's a slider on each card. So if everybody can't get it after a while, you can expose the first clue, give everybody the first clue and now jump in and go at it again until finally somebody can get it. And there's points that can be associated with how long it took you to get this, but there was three boxes of these in a pack. I think, you know, easy, basic and hard or something like that. Um, but we were so tempted to buy one of these right on the spot specifically for car trips. Yeah. So I wanted <laughs> we to mention had, that as something new. If we had a big car trip coming up, I'm sure we would have walked out of there with one that instant just yeah. because we know we would have used it right away. <laughs> yeah, they had the cards are illustrated – like in a really neat cartoony type of way. Mm-hmm. Um, the problems are really ingenious. It's, it's just really neat. Yeah, it makes it good for a group to work on a
1: puzzle together, uh, that sort of group think it, Exactly. It definitely, the hive mind is in full force <laughs> with that kind of game instead of just you ask one person a question. I think it would be much more fun to put the question out there and then and have, have everybody. everybody be able to participate. Exactly. So, yeah, absolutely. I would have put this on
0: my five <laughs> if, it, if it had been me on the, on the hot seat. So, thumbs up. Excellent. Number four is... Be thumped with words, the book edition. If, if, uh, you're not familiar with a board game, um, it is a great, great board game about everything you could possibly ever want to know about words. They also make a, a book version of this. Um, it is unfortunately out of print. You can find it on eBay for between five and fifteen bucks. In the book, it has 44 games and there's over a thousand questions. And like I said, everything you could ever want to know about words, word history, acronyms, homophones, spoonerisms, briticisms, eponyms, you name it, it's all in here and it is just a hoot. We have a blast with this every time we take it. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, and
1: and it's not so nerdy that, you know, I'm I'm the English major and the writer here and you know, I do pretty well at it, but it's the questions are crafted in such a way that you don't have to be a word nerd. To, to really do well at the game, I think. It it and you learn. You know, yeah, really you, absolutely interesting. Do. you know, it's it's very kind of trivia stuff, but it's it's interesting stuff that you learn along the way um without really meaning to. <laughs> exactly. So yep, yep, thumbs up, definitely.
0: Cool, yeah. cool. Now my last one on the list is kind of a wacky one. It's a game called Point of Law. And it's actually A, um, 3M bookshelf game. You're like, what? How can you do that? (laughs) Well, when you open the game up, you realize the game, all the game really is, is a book. It's just a book. Um, this obviously is long out of print, but once again, you can get the game or even just the book on eBay for between two and $10, which is really cool. The game is basically, the book has 100 court cases in it. They lay out the court case and then they lay out the decision. Um, so all you have to basically do is one person will read the court case, they'll give you four possible decisions, then everybody votes secretly on which of the four decisions they think the court actually came to, the correct decision, and then once you've like secretly voted, before you expose your votes or really see what the real one is, there's a discussion period. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be stupid and boring. This was fun as hell. I mean, the, these discussions got crazy and heated, and once again, a state later, we're still talking about this case that was, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah. You know, and it's just really very stimulating, and you end up talking about all kinds of really cool stuff. It's um, And it's really simple once you finally do, after everybody's done arguing, that well, I think it should be this. Yeah, I think it should be this. Then there's you actually read the court's decision. For everybody who picked that, you get four points. And the other decisions aren't just wrong. Some of them were fair decisions, so they're actually worth a couple points. There were some that were poor, so they're not worth any. And then there's majority points. Regardless of what's good or bad or the correct thing, if you guys, if the majority of the people pick this decision, then you get a bonus point. Just because you were the jury and that's how, but it's really interesting. And if you could snag a copy of this for 2 to $10. Oh yeah. I mean, give it a shot.
1: We had a blast with this, the last car trip we got, we took together and we... We played it way more than I thought we would. You know, we were like, well, we'll give a couple of these a shot and see how it goes. And like you said, three states later, <laughs> yeah. we're still going on about, it. I can't believe that's really the way. But the interesting sort of historical context, too, is that because it is an older game, you have to kind of think, well, what were the laws then? Right. And would they be different now? To me that's um, why I think is the really most interesting, interesting thing.
0: Kind of like a, a look into the legal system 50, 60 years ago or something and going wow, seeing if, you know, co- what what you think of as
1: might be common sense, which doesn't necessarily always apply to the law no matter what era you are <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's uh, it, it's just it's very interesting and, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it is great. So yeah, thumbs up across the board. 5 5 big thumbs. I, this was this was kind of a a softball pitch for us because we've done these ra- right. road trips so much. But I think the games that we put on there are not games that everybody knows about. So exactly, so so much the better for for you, the listener. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, we'll after, have to see
0: if uh, Tim. Yeah, we'll see what Tim thinks. Agrees. Exactly. So um, we'll look forward to his response. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, after getting five thumbs up, it's time Uh-oh. to to throw the gauntlet Stephen's way. This challenge also comes from a listener listener is Ron Barnett, and he has a pretty interesting challenge, one that I think we have to – it's actually fairly new, and I think we need to get to it soon because he's in dire need of an answer. <laughs> okay. So um, he and his wife do really enjoy playing games together. The problem is that his wife is very picky in what she plays. She absolutely adores the Ticket to Ride series. They have them all. They play them all the time. But he's like, there's only so many times <laughs> I can play Ticket to Ride. Um Basically, she likes also some card games, some Rummy, some stuff like that. But here's the kicker. He purchased Lost Cities, and through the desert, she didn't like either of them. So that's kind of tough. She doesn't like area control games, and she hates war games, which unfortunately is his favorite type of game. Uh. (laughs) So how do you solve... What's left there, in other words. Exactly. I think this is going to be a tough challenge, and, and... you know, one that I think Ron would appreciate if he can come up with the answers for. I'll do my best, Ron, but that's not
1: going to be easy. <laughs> Hopefully you won't be sleeping on the couch if uh, you take some of my suggestions. And uh, No, really, the guy
0: the... said Twilight Imperium would be awesome. <laughs> no!
1: <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that. I'll, I'll give it a shot. Cool. Mailbag. It's time for you to let us know what you think. Comments, questions, criticisms. Let us have it. So we have some nicknames to award to to, two generous people who've donated to the Spiel cause. Uh, Remember, you can log into thespiel.net, and on the left-hand sidebar, there are two little donate buttons. If you care to to help support our cause, that would be great. And if you do, you get a game-themed nickname. So we have two this week. We have Larry, The Mimics Mendel. (laughs) And Bill the Vulch Hand. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So, uh, thank you to Bill and Larry. And, uh, we totally appreciate your support. It helps us keep the, the bandwidth bills in check. And thanks for your support.
0: Absolutely. Thank you very much. Cruciverbalist exemplification. <clears throat> specify the preceding amusement or designate the aforementioned pastime. So before we get to a couple emails, I just want to point out a few things that some people have put on the forums that I think are really cool. Uh, I think they were obviously put there specifically for me, <laughs> but I definitely want to share them with everybody. There is a link on there to some awesome dice tricks or some dice stacking that is ultra cool. It was posted by Abysmald. Um, it just, just really cool. I was stunned watching this. It was like five minutes long and I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Ultra cool. And then, um, Jim, um, or let's play on posted, um, how to make a Rubik's cube out of dice. And that's once again, a leak to a uh, link to a video showing how to do this. Yep. And, and I must admit that I thought it was going to look kind of crappy and man, it looked really solid and yeah, and pretty cool. So if you're interested in seeing a couple of videos about dice, check these guys out, just go to the forums and you'll find the links. Yep. Um, uh, the one other forum thing I was going to mention is,
1: uh, Edmund Hack put up a really nice sort of overview of online board game options in terms of Vassal. Oh, we didn't mention Vassal last week, we mentioned Cyberboard. Right. We're, we're aware of Vassal and we actually covered it, on, I think, episode uh, 22 or oh, something okay. like that. Um, but he kinda of gives a nice little history lesson of all the different ones and, and how they're how they're different. Oh excellent uh, so I would encourage you, it's very well detailed and uh, log in and, and check that out for sure. Cool. Again, where's that what's that website? Thespiel.net. <laughs> So, moving on to the actual mailbag. The first letter I'm pulling out uh, is a response to last week's sommelier from uh, Scooter uh, B. Is that right? Who did the... Or no, no, it was Beehive. Bee it's Beehive. <laughs> beehive. We got so many crazy We got, our, names. We got our
0: B's mixed up. <laughs>
1: beehive. Our B's be- and Q's are all mixed up. Oh, man. <laughs> so, this is Brad, uh, Brad Brooks, uh, is Beehive. <laughs> and uh, this was his response to my sommelier. What? No roads and boats? <laughs> Okay, I'll give you Ingenious, Cribbage, and Balderdash, but the mind that comes up with Sucking Vacuum for Astronauts is the same one that would show Airport 77 as an in-flight movie. <laughs> Mission Red Planet would be a very thematic choice, but I'm afraid the whole saboteur blowing up the rocket might create the wrong vibe with the players. I'd suggest Cosmic Encounter with appropriate velcro Icing, perhaps upcoming Fantasy Flight version with lots of expansions and for maximum pl- replayability. As to Carcassonne, thumbs up for replayability since with several small expansions you can get a lot of variety. However, while Velcro might hold down the tiles, how do you keep those meeples out of the pod bay doors since you can't put Velcro on
0: top of the tiles?
1: <laughs> Maybe you could do something with lasers. Lasers fix everything.
0: Exactly. just already here. Dave. Yep. There's a meeple in the pod bay doors. Yeah. Dave. <laughs>
1: I can totally hear it. That's funny. <laughs> but,
0: yeah, so yeah,
1: I'll take my uh, lump. So, you know, I got I got a few thumbs up and a few <laughs> thumbs down. Well, I got, I got
0: more thumbs up than down, so... There you go. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> exactly. Well, we got an email from one of our local game buddies who is basically just giving us some grief. He's like, What happened to the great Cosmos two-player death match? Well, to that we have to answer. We ha- have actually continued playing on that. We just haven't po- kept you guys... Um, <laughs> Posted. So what's happened since the Lost Cities craziness. <laughs> debacle. Exactly. <for> is <laughs> we played um the travel version of Ingenious and we played best of three and I came out on top there two games to one. That was really fun. And then recently we played Odin's Ravens and Steven came out on top two to one. <laughs> so the grand total in our three games is Steven two, myself one. Yeah. So that's where we are on the, the <laughs> Death match of hell. Well, interesting to note
1: that all three of them, we were forced to play the rubber match. Right, exactly. <laughs> we're actually, totally tooth and nail down to the wire on all three of these games. So it's crazy. I don't know
0: that you know no clear victor has has emerged. With our luck, yet. there's like an even number of these games, and it'll be a dead
1: tie at the end. <laughs> we're gonna have to add up the ante here at some point. You know, another person has to buy
0: dinner or a game or something. There you go. I think there you go. Cool. Get a a meeple tattoo. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So three, three down in the death match, a mere 30 some to go. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Oh, I had one other response. Greg Lamb, a
1: designer of Marvin Marvel's Marvelous Marble Machine, uh, wrote in with a little comment about the Mars sommelier challenge too. And he was like, I must say you missed, uh, I'm quoting here now. I must say you missed a huge opportunity for the mission to Mars, a game sommelier challenge. Dexterity games in space. <laughs> what could be more fun than that? Now, since Operation would require batteries, I, and I haven't actually played Sabudio, I don't know whether they could be adapted for Zero
0: Gravity play. Why, but, why can I guess where he's going with this?
1: <laughs> but I might humbly suggest the Chopstick de- Dexterity Mega Challenge 3000, which just... <laughs> coincidentally might happen to be designed by one greg lamb we actually have a copy of this one and it is a blast and actually would be a really good dexterity game if you had chopstick skills uh, for uh for space what's better than chopsticks in space not a lot (laughs) yep let's see i have one other thing here and that is the buckeye game fest um, Brad Keene, uh, formerly of Columbus, Ohio, wanted us to spread the word about the Buckeye Game Fest, which is sponsored by CABS, the Columbus Area Board Game Society. Okay. It happens September 27th through the 30th. It's hosted by the Columbus Area Board Game Society. Um, they're going to have the same great game library that they had available at Origins. Excellent. Also, there's going to be a game auction on Saturday, and he... Uh, and his friend, Nathan Morse, are helping run a math trade where there's going to be a huge list of games and you do the the swap. I've really never done that, but it sounds like a cool thing. So you might want to check out um, Buckeye Game Fest. Uh, I'll include a link in the show notes uh, to there. It sounds fun. <laughs> it sounds really fun. Have we have we made it to the end? or are you have you reached the I, bottom of the mailbag, yep, or do you I, have anything else? I don't have anything else. <laughs> well, I think we've uh, we've pillaged and, and looted <laughs> as much as we can here in our Viking episode. We might not have made it to Valhalla, but. Uh, <laughs> We, we, we could, Not for a lack of pride. We can prime. see Asgard in the distance. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> At least, you know, Yggdrasil is... is <laughs> we're going to climb to the top pretty soon here. If we keep playing Viking games, we might just get there. I'd encourage you to check some out. So, again, thanks to Time Well Spent, our lovely sponsor. Thanks for listening. My name's Stephen Conway. And I'm David Colson. So remember, whether it's the roll of a die, the turn of a
0: card, or the flip of a tile, you don't have to play to win. You, you just, just have to, to play. play. Vikings eat pizza (laughs) they should have